Hello, it's me again. So, uh, this is going to be part two of our Easter observance um, special. Now, I just wanted to say that last episode really opened my eyes to um, to um, just just the degeneracy of it all. Um, any holiday, no matter how sacred, can be taken and corrupted by um, an individual who wants to write a sex fan fiction on the web. Um, this we know as fact. Um, so what I would just like to say is, if you perhaps might be sensitive to that, if you are a religious person who takes Easter very seriously, you probably want to not listen to this because it could get explicit and might even come off as disrespectful. I mean, especially that last, <clears throat> that last one that we read on the last episode. Um, I I don't really have any words. You know, I'm I'm not a religious person. I uh, am pretty neutral to this stuff. It doesn't really get under my skin. But if this is an important an important holiday for you, um yeah, you might just not want to listen to this altogether. Uh because of the reasons that I said. And if if you aren't and this doesn't bother you in any way, you're just here to indulge in the degeneracy, then boy oh boy, um here we go. Uh you you definitely came to the right place. So, um, under the Easter tag in English, I am on, I landed, I randomly landed on page 35. So I'm going to read these 20 results on this page for you now. First off, we have April Showers Bring May Flowers by Ella Tan Malfoy or Gamma Draconis. This is a Harry Potter fan fiction. And this time, somehow, he convinced them to say yes. They'd allowed him to stay at Hogwarts for that week off. Mother would send him treats, he'd said. It would all be just lovely. He'd told his parents he'd be absolutely safe. There wouldn't be too many other interruptions around, and they'd have loads of time to themselves. They definitely wouldn't do anything they wouldn't have approved of. Or at least they wouldn't let them catch wind of anything that they did do. But if the plan was so airtight, why was Y slash N sitting all by herself so pensively on this rainy morning? Or Draco's screwed up a little bit and realizes it almost too late. Easter break is worse when you're all alone. Requested on my Tumblr by... Elton Malfoy. I thought that was what they... I thought that was them. Never mind. Let us continue. Oh, and this next one, we... We, um... We could possibly be reading another Undertale fic. Well, um... Let's just... Let's just put our hands together and clap for that one. Uh, Deep Into the Rabbit's Hole by Fine Apple Queen. Or writing is not my strong point. This is an, of course, an Undertale fan fiction. Um, 
Red is a rabbit hunter, but when following a track of leftover carrots, he falls down a hole and into the Easter Bunny's lair. Sans is trying to get some rest after his busy job of egg hiding, but is having trouble falling asleep as it's a very tiring job indeed. Maybe Red could help this skeletal cottontail to bed. Sidetracked AU, not the same AU as the Christmas one, but still holiday themed. A Perfect Fit by Purge or Raise Your Voice. This is a Detroit Become Human video game fanfiction. The deviant leader had called him over, basically ordered him to be at the mansion upon Marcus's return from the surely mentally exhausting political meeting. The RK-800 had first been surprised by the system opening the door to him with a welcome Connor. He hadn't known Marcus had programmed him into the security system, and when the RK-200 had come home a moment later, he had confronted the now thoroughly confused Connor with these things. You went to a negotiation with the president, but returned with a bunch of plants and a bunny? His LED spun yellow as he tried to make sense of this all, and he glanced up at the deviant leader once more when he heard the other's soft chuckle. The Easter Bunny by Vampire Vengeance. This is an all-time low band fanfiction. Alex dresses up as a sexy Easter Bunny. The Stock Boy in the Easter Isle by Macbeth 13. This is a castle fanfiction. The team gets a new case, a murder in a superstore that brings along some of the upcoming holiday's distractions. Easter Shenanigans by Super Red Robin, or Sweet Fanfics. This is a DCU comicverse, DCU Batman comics fanfic. Accepting the call, he greets Tim. Happy Bunny Day. Sorry, Happy Bunny Day, Bird Boy. I'm calling in a favor. Tim's cool voice comes through the receiver. Fly over here right now before I commit justifiable homicide on my brothers. Easter Bunny by One Farmer Girl. This is a Teen Wolf fanfiction. Styles goes to the mall and gets a bunny on the day before Easter. Now he just has to explain to Derek. On the Tale of the Elusive Easter Egg by Avira. This is the A-Team TV fanfiction. A peaceful moment between missions and an egg-hunting captain. Baby's First Easter by Ugly Gay. Doctor, This is a Doctor Who 2005 fanfiction. It's the 10th Doctor's first Easter in Pete's world, and he wants to make it special. Easter Recovery by Mr. Riddiggins. Mr. Riddiggins. This is a Sherlock fanfiction. It's Mycroft's first Easter since being released from inpatient treatment for his eating disorder. With the help of his boyfriend, Greg, can he face the cha challenges of such a food-oriented holiday? A Stark Rogers Easter by Superhero Wife. This is the Avengers um, fanfiction here. Clint tries to stir up trouble, and Steve once again demonstrates what a little shit he is, 
or the one with confetti eggs and adults that never grow up. You call that discreet by I Live in the Moon. This is a Law and Order SVU fan fiction. Liv hosts an Easter gathering. Barbara can't really do discreet, but is Carissi really that obvious? Sorry, I'm bad at titles and tagging. Sweet as a Chocolate Button by Oliver Nico. This is a fire emblem, emblem, sorry, Fukatsu Sketsu Fire Emblem Three Houses Fire Emblem series fanfiction. Annette and Mercedes spend their afternoon on Easter Sunday making chocolate eggs together. The former dwells on her feelings for Mercedes as they do so, fully attempting that she is falling for her her best friend. Sorry. No, sorry. Sorry, I read that wrong. The former dwells on her feelings for Mercedes as they do so, fully accepting that she is falling for her best friend. Look at Me by Malik18. This is a Bang Tan Boys or BTS fanfiction. Ever since Jimin asked if Young and Jungkook would be spending Easter together, Young couldn't stop thinking about it. He spent every day asking Jungkook to come meet his parents, but Jungkook insisted that he couldn't take the time off. Then he started spending less time with Young until he was just ignoring him altogether. Something isn't quite adding up, and Young wants to know why. Easter Egg Hunts by Toxic, Toxic Time Fanfics This is a Marvel Cinematic Universe Doctor Strange 2016 Spider-Man Homecoming 2017 fanfiction. Basically, I wanted a fic where Tony and Peter got to meet Stefan's family without them immediately hating them. Victor doesn't count. Also, nobody freaks the fuck out in a bad way when Stefan reveals he's Sorcerer Supreme. Edit. Even though this was just released, I know I can do a better job, so it's going through major editing right now. Also a change in title, because I want to use that for a different fic. Easter Eggs and Blueberry Pie by CatSnow2613 This is a Song of Ice and Fire um, Game of Thrones fanfiction. At a what should be a friendly family Easter egg hunt, John calls in some reinforcements for his two-year-old son, Eamon. Coloring Outside the Lines by Serona. This is a Hawaii 5 2010 fanfiction. It is tradition, true enough, and he's been looking forward to inducting Steve in the Williams Easter Saturday Club Though God only knows what unholy mess Grace has made, if she's been impatient enough to start on her own without waking him. Easter Eggs by Dusted Corners. This is a Promare and Promare 2019 fanfiction. Goal volunteers at an Easter party and Leo doesn't understand what Easter is. Just casual fluff. Happy Birthday Rue by Lady B20. This is a 
Rise of the Guardians 2012 fan fiction. Jack learns about Bunny's birthday. And our last one, Easter Surprise by Endureth Witch. This is a Batman, Batman the Animated Series, The Joker Fandom, Harley Quinn Comics, Suicide Squad 2016, Batman the Dark Prince Charming Comics fan fiction. Joker and Harley want to celebrate Easter with some friends. Alright, so here we go. Our very first story. Uh, But before we get to that, I just wanted to try something different. Um, This first fic that we're reading is relatively short, and I have my birds with me, so you might hear some peeping and squeaking, and that's just them. Uh, But I won't subject you to this for the entire episode, it's uh, just for this little while, so let's enjoy them. Standing in solidarity with our suffering. Um, So, our first one happens to be number one. April Showers Bring May Flowers by L. Tannen Malfoy, or Gamma Draconis. This is a Harry Potter fic. It it has a general audience's rating and is F slash M. You know I have to be drinking through this because it is so fucking crazy, so here we go. Author's notes, song recs to listen to while you read, uh, meaning song recommendations. Void by The Neighborhood, Brooklyn. Baby by Lana Del Rey, The Night Comes. Down, Delane Leah Demo by Queen. Uh, yes. Alright, here we go. This one is pretty short, so here we go. Yes or no was looking out the window by her seat in the library. Well, it says Y slash N, so I I think that would mean yes or no, but... Um... Am I missing something here? It doesn't say, it doesn't indicate anything in the tags, so this is a little weird. I, I don't know what they mean by Y slash N. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Let, let's just, let's just read it. Y slash N was looking out the window by her seat in the library, watching the rain pitter-patter down from the skies above. It was gloomy, yes, and the solitude made everything the slightest bit darker. She looked over at the parchment spreading on the desk in front of her and the transfiguration textbook beside it. Why did studying seem like the most difficult thing in the world to her while she was all by herself? It should be the opposite, shouldn't it? She supposed having some company would help. It was Easter, and yet again, she was going to have to celebrate it with absolute strangers. Or as some might put it, The professors and the few other students who spent the holidays at Hogwarts instead of with family at home, if they had one, that is. She'd never been privy to homely affection much, or even just had access to a family in the first place. It had been years since she'd lost them, and she spent little time dwelling over what was. It was something she just managed to get used to. The few months she was forced to spend at her orphanage were just tolerable, 
and she couldn't be more grateful to be given a space to live at Hogwarts while most of the students were away. But of course, it wasn't much fun with no one familiar around. She had thought this year would be different. This year, she had someone she was more than friends with, an actual boyfriend. But of course, things with him were very much restricted. First of all, his parents were fiercely attached to him. There wasn't a single holiday they'd allow him to spend at Hogwarts by himself or even with her. Sure, it was still contested what her blood status was. What with no one having an idea what upbringing her own parents had had. Neither of them had attended Hogwarts, and all that they'd left her was a locket with her name in it, so they weren't necessarily worth much either. Obviously, that didn't help her case with the Malfoys, but at least Draco wasn't that picky. Okay, he had been a bit skeptical at times. He'd told her off more than once before over things, which shouldn't have mattered as much as they did to him. But he'd warmed up her... But he'd warmed up. Sorry. Her blood status was ambiguous, after all. There was no reason why the two of them couldn't pretend she was pure-blooded. It wasn't her fault. She knew his little game was bigoted, but she didn't care very much about it either. Or at least she made it seem like she didn't. She kept quiet when she had to, and tried to tug at his strings in private to try to figure out whether underneath that pale exterior he felt the same way he liked to say he did. But of course, all her efforts were futile. The boy was was all boarded up from head to heart. The stance he'd been led to support was all he could see, and the mask shielding him from the outside was on much too tight for her to get a look at him within. But she wasn't one to complain, not when he was as generous as he was, buying her things she didn't have the budget for at all. His parents knew about his expenditures. They knew he'd brought, he'd bought her simple blue dress robes and a bracelet with an eagle charm on it, reflective of her house, which again wasn't much too satisfying in their opinion. And this time, somehow, he'd convinced them to say yes. They'd allowed him to stay at Hogwarts for that week off. Mother would send him treats, he'd said. It would all be just lovely. He'd told his parents he'd be absolutely safe. There wouldn't be too many other interruptions around, and they'd have loads of time to themselves. They definitely wouldn't do anything they wouldn't have approved of. Or at least they wouldn't let them catch wind of anything that they did do. But if the plan was so airtight, why was Y slash N sitting all by herself so pensively on this rainy morning? Well, to be incredibly brief, it was because Draco himself was far from perfect. He'd done what he knew she loathed him doing, ganged up on a first year with the rest of his chums and called him that dirty, dirty word. And they'd had an awful spat just the evening before the rest of the school was due to leave the castle. It had left her in tears and him with his face all purple. She'd bruised his ego by telling him off, and he wasn't one to back down so easily. As stubborn as he was, he wrote home that very evening informing his parents that he'd be taking the train home the next day. It was as simple as that, and he was gone. 
far away from her with with not a word. She'd understood, obviously. She went looking for him, and he didn't show. She wasn't as thick as he was. She'd never tell him, but she spent a while feeling awfully guilty, like she should have said nothing. But in her heart, she felt that maybe, just maybe, this was for the better. Draco was miles away by the time he realized it was him who was at fault. He felt that sudden sense of regret and wanted to turn back. But what could he do at this point? Pathetically admit to his parents that he'd argued with his girlfriend over something and now he wants to apologize so he should get back? He couldn't really think of anything much better than that idea, so that's exactly what he told his mother. She seemed sympathetic and oddly enthused, but was convinced enough to coax her husband into helping him get back. He glared at the boy, but did little more than offer him snide comments and advice about avoiding muggle-born sympathizers. He didn't really pay much attention, to to be honest. The The side along aberration was over before he knew it, and after a quick exchange of goodbyes, Draco was stumbling off towards the castle, trunk in hand. His long legs were only starting to become a problem now. Rather than offer him speed, he practically tripped over his own feet, and he forced his way through with Flitch, the nutty old squib. The rain from the morning had pretty much stopped by this point. It was clear it was clearer spring was on its way. What with the sunshine reflecting against the slight dewdrops on the grass and the hint of daffodils and bluebells blossoming. Sweaters were still required, but everything seemed inviting. God, she'd really driven him soft, hadn't she? He wouldn't have have even stopped to think twice about the scenery before her, but now he had spent he had to speed up or he'd just make everything all that much worse for himself. And oh, luck seemed to be working in his favor at the moment, because there she was in the courtyard, strolling about, looking over the building blossoms. He called out her name, and she looked back at him, eyes wide with, what was it, shock or surprise? There were muffled words over, sorry, muffled words from her, which he didn't interpret very well, and she walked over to him, He managed out a desperate apology and pressed his hands together, practically in prayer for her. She just shook her head, walking over and grabbed at his hands. Draco, you dumb, dumb twit. Yes, Y slash N, my lovely, lovely girlfriend. You're lucky I love you, and I'm ready to forgive you, Malfoy. I'll never do it again. You better not. And then they pulled each other into a warm embrace, and everything was right in the world. Author's notes, thank you so much for reading. Please do leave me any feedback if you have. Super appreciated. Thanks. This has a pretty good amount of kudos on it and two comments. Lady Dixon Riddick says, very cute little fic. Good job. Author responds, thank you so much. All right, our second one is another one that isn't too long, so I'm going to keep the birds with me. For another one. This is number 10, uh, which happens to be Easter Recovering by Maestradigans. This is a teen and up rating M slash M and strictly within Sherlock TV fandom. Author's Notes by Emily. Stay safe this Easter, my lovelies. 
please call the relevant ED hotlines in your country if your struggling recovery is always, always worth it. Trigger warning for brief, brief descriptions of past disordered eating and exercise addiction. And then I had happened to notice in the tags that it says, maybe triggering, but it's a positive fic. So, you know, it it sounds like it has a positive ending, but if this is something that you're just not in the mood uh, to listen to right now, um, then just take a moment to skip over this one and, I, I don't know, just uh, do your thing. So, uh, here we go. It was Mycroft's first Easter of recovery. First Easter in several years that he was planning on taking part in, rather than locking himself in his room and making excuses. First Easter since the age of 11, that his BMI was within a healthy range, as it had shot up when he began overeating as a child, trying to cope with the bullying he faced in school and plummeted to dangerous lows when he began to restrict at the age of 15 to compensate. Now aged almost 20 and making a hercu- oh, whoa, 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 sorry. Herculean effort to recover. It was his second Easter as the boyfriend of Gregory Lestrade, the man who had been his biggest cheerleader and motivation to get better. Last Easter, Mycroft and Gregory's relationship had been new, and Mycroft had been attempting to hide the full extent of his eating disorder from the other man. Would you like to spend Easter with your family? Greg had asked, around a mouthful of the burger he had offered Mycroft a bite of in that terrifying way he had of making it far too tempting to say no to. The tactic he was unwittingly employing now, drawing Mycroft Mycroft into, sorry, in with the magnetism that seemed to come from the messy tips of his hair or the haunted angle of his glasses. It should be a good time. My cousins will be all, will, sorry, will all be over. And you know my mom would love the chance to fatten you up a bit. Fatten, that word bit into Mycroft like a cake knife making his stomach twist unpleasantly, even as the disordered segment of his brain reveled with some guilt in the reminder of his first introduction to Greg's mother, in which she'd marveled at the bones poking out of his arms and declared that he needed some meat on him. It had embarrassed him, made him feel like a freak, but at the same time the disorder had been dizzy with pride. More still, he had almost enjoyed being fussed over by the fully the full-figured maternal woman in a way that he did not usually permit people to fuss over him. It was tempting and terrifying to spend Easter with Mrs. Lestrade and her family, who he imagined were as comfortably curvy and happy about it as Greg and his mother were, and be fed chocolate until everything was okay again, but he knew he couldn't do that. Sorry, I always spend it with Sherlock. It's his favorite holiday, he lied, avoiding Greg's gaze to focus on the cherry tomatoes he was methodically extracting from his salad. It wasn't all a lie. It was indeed Sherlock's favorite, as he adored anything chocolatey, a fact which put Mycroft on edge so much that he found he, could, he couldn't be around Sherlock when he was eating that stuff. It felt like Mycroft was the one 
binging, even though he knew logically that the food was going into Sherlock's infuriatingly skinny body, and not his own. So he couldn't possibly spend Easter with the child. He'd make an excuse. Maybe even say he was spending Easter with Greg and go to the gym all day if he could find one that was open, or simply pick a direction and walk until his legs gave out and he had to take a cab back home, from wherever in the country he'd ended up. Ah, fair enough. Maybe next year I can spend it with you both, Greg had said, then blushed as it dawned on him that once again he'd talked about long-term plans with the boy he'd been seeing for barely two months. Mycroft loved those blushes. They made him want nothing more than to be whoever Greg thought he was, and be with him forever and ever. Without the inevitable catastrophe of Greg finding out about him, he smiled and swallowed uncomfortably around the tomato he was nibbling at, and the lie he was going to tell, because he couldn't ever do what Greg had asked. Could he? I'd love to, he smiled weakly and took a reckless stab at the sliced avocado he'd pushed to the side of his plate. Little could the Mycroft of just one year ago have known that today he'd be waking up on Easter Sunday with his boyfriend by his side, getting ready to go back to his childhood home, to have Easter lunch with his parents and brother. He'd moved out of his parents' house late in the summer of the last year to go into an inpatient treatment unit after coming clean to Gregory about his disorder and deciding to commit to recovery with the support of his boyfriend. After his release in February, he'd moved in with Greg, a step which was like so many of the things Mycroft loved nowadays, scary and exciting and beautiful. "'Good morning, Angel,' murmured Greg, kissing Mycroft's shoulder. "'Ready for today?' It was a picture of domestic bliss that seemed achingly normal. The two young men cuddled together in bed, with Mycroft wearing his boyfriend's Star Trek t-shirt, even though it spooked him a little, that the top was only slightly baggy on him now. When they'd begun dating, he could have drowned in it. They lay together for a while, talking quietly before Greg's craving for coffee got the better of him, and he had to get up and put it on the kettle. "'Want me to make you some breakfast?' he called from the kitchen. His flat was so tiny that it was possible to have a conversation with Mycroft from the kitchen whilst the other man was still in bed, something that proved useful on the difficult days when Mycroft got stuck in a rut and had to instruct Greg on how to make something he felt up to eating. "'No thanks, I'll make it,' Mycroft said, pushing himself up. Food was less scary if he had sole control over its preparation, and while there had been occasions where Greg had cooked him breakfast, all of which had been delicious and challenging, for Greg was hardly conservative on the amount of butter he'd spread on a slice of toast and cooked eggs whole, rather than meticulously removing the yolks each time. Today was going to be a new challenge in, it, in and of itself, so he felt more comfortable starting with a safe breakfast. The important thing, Mycroft repeated to himself, in his head, as he cut up a banana and struggled to resist the urge to get out scales and weigh out an exact amount of muesli, was that he ate something. Non-disordered people might skip breakfast on occasion and think nothing of it, but for Mycroft, skipping a single meal or snack was an invitation for his restrictive thoughts to take over, and he simply couldn't risk that. 
so he'd eat a safe breakfast and be sure to have a small supper in the evening, even though he knew he'd still be full from lunch and the groundbreaking snack he was planning, because it was what he knew he had to do to stay on track. When they arrived at the Holmes residence a few hours later, Sherlock was waiting for them at the door. Greg, Mike, happy Easter, he beamed, allowing Mycroft to pull him into a hug. Sherlock was twelve and clever, but Mycroft was cleverer, and had managed to hide his eating disorder from his brother pretty effectively over the years, avoiding spending mealtimes with him at all costs and telling him that he'd gone traveling with Greg during the months he'd spent impatient. He felt somewhat guilty for lying to the boy and regretted the times he'd missed out on spending with him immensely, but ultimately believed that it was important to protect Sherlock from developing the same problems as him by copying his eating habits. Mummy and father had visited Mycroft fairly frequently in the treatment center, though not as often as Greg, but Mycroft hadn't want wanted to expose Sherlock to that. He was a happier to phone his brother once a week, describing in detail how Gregory had him and him had visited the Taj Mahal this week on their travels. It had pro provided him with a sense of escape from the confines of the ward. Escape, as they followed Sherlock through to the dining room. Mycroft was suddenly sure that he needed to escape. He could see the cutlery cutlery laid out around huge plates, could smell the almost finished meat roasting in the oven full of fats and oils and unknown calories. And he couldn't do this. He couldn't do this. He needed to stop eating and go to the gym and walk somewhere. And, Mycroft, can we go get that book from your room? Greg was asking. And there was no book, but he must have noticed Mycroft's breathing speeding up, so Mycroft nodded and let himself be pulled upstairs. He collapsed onto his old bed and put his face in his hands, counting in and out, while Greg rubbed his back gently. I thought they- I, th I think they meant breathing in and out. What's wrong? Greg whis whispered. Do you need to go home? Mycroft nodded, then shook his head. I'll be okay, he said to himself, as much as to his boyfriend. I can do this. It's just- just lunch, right? Just lunch, Greg promised. You can hold my hand the whole time. I'll switch my fork into my left hand if you want. And I had a peek at what your parents were making, and there's a salad with cherry tomatoes. You don't have to have any meat if you don't want it. I'm so proud of you just for being here, Micey. Okay, Mycroft said, and wiped a few stray tears from his eyes. Then he said, I love you. Even though he knew that Greg already knew that, because it was nice to hear and nicer to say. The pair headed downstairs, where an intimidating amount of food was being set out on the table. Happy Easter, dig in, declared Mummy. And Mycroft gulped, but reminded himself that it was going to be okay. He waited a few seconds for everyone else to begin serving themselves food, before tentatively reaching out for the runner beans and putting a medium-sized spoonful on his plate. He liked runner beans. They tasted good and... The disorder thought they were safe. Not as safe as cherry tomatoes, which for some reason were the food that seemed the safest, even though he wasn't mad about the taste, but safe enough that he felt they were a good start to building a good plate. Red onion was harder because 
They, it was in some sort of sauce. It was in some sort of sauce, and Mycroft couldn't be sure what was in it, and knew that his parents would know exactly what was going on if he tried to casually ask, but he placed a spoonful on his plate anyway, not quite touching the beans, but fairly close, and did the same with a couple of new potatoes. Lamb, anyone? offered Mummy, hovering over the tray with a carving knife. There was a chorus of yes-pleases from Greg, Sherlock, and Father, and Mycroft squeezed Greg's hand tightly. Why the hell not? Just a small slice, please, he said quietly, and Greg beamed at him, while his father glanced over in surprise and approval. He looked determinedly down at the table, while his mother cut him a slice, a feeling of pride that he often got with the adrenaline of facing a fear food almost drowning out the panicked voice of the disorder. As soon as the meat was on the plate, he reached for the tomato salad and spooned a large helping on top as if to hide the fact that it was there. But nonetheless, he ate most of it, along with a large amount of the vegetables on his plate. Over the course of the meal, Mycroft was full. It was a sensation he'd become used to a lot over the course of his treatment. After so many years of empty, consuming anything at all, had made his stomach ache for hours, and he'd spent the first few weeks of his treatment in almost constant pain, begging for hot water bottles, glasses of lemon water, and massages from Greg in a seemingly endless cycle until his body began to adjust to having food in it. Now he was comfortably full, feeling pleasantly warm and content in a way that would have been completely alien to him at almost any point in his life until a couple of months ago. He lay back on an armchair with Gregory by his side and thought that maybe he could stay like this forever. Sherlock and I baked a Simnel cake, Mummy said, hopefully. Would you, uh, would you like some, Mycroft? She must have known it was a long shot, and... The Mycroft of a year ago would have laughed in the face of anyone who offered him cake. Mycroft did want to try Sherlock's baking, though he was wary that the boy may have added bugs or body parts to the mix. But he was honestly stuffed and for the moment panicked with no idea what to do, then had an idea. I'm really rather too full just now, he said, with some genuine regret. But if it's all right, I'd love to take a piece home for to try another time. Mummy smiled in approval. An excellent idea. I'll find some cling film and wrap it and wrap some up for you later. Greg, I'm too full, but I'd love a piece to take home, Greg said, sipping his coffee. Mycroft felt gratified by that, sure that it meant he'd made a good decision if Greg was also doing the same. He felt he deserved a sticker, ate like a regular person or something. Sherlock piped up. I'd like a piece now, mummy. And they all laughed at the bottomless pit of a boy got himself a large slice without any of the guilt, shame, or anxiety Mycroft was so worried he would have picked up on. A few hours later, having had to a relaxed walk that was not about exercise, it was not it was about spending time with the family and enjoying the weather and that was why Mycroft had kicked his disorder in the belly by walking slowly and going back in with the others rather than insisting on carrying on for a certain amount of steps and a rather intense game of Monopoly. Mycroft's lunch had digested, and it was time to face his snack. This had been one of the scarier parts in the day, 
as he had decided that he was going to truly embrace the holiday and have some chocolate. Chocolate scared him, but he knew that recovery meant that he could stop opting out of celebrations like holidays, as demonstrated by his triumphant conquering of two Yorkshire puddings while spending Christmas impatient, and the dinner date he had been on with Gregory for Valentine's, where he had finally accepted to share the same food as him. And if chocolate was part of Easter, then he wanted to eat chocolate. Sherlock was on the floor already some of the way through his giant-sized egg, and his parents were snacking on a bowl of mini eggs together. So Mycroft didn't feel out of place, holding up the hollow egg he was going to share with Gregory and splitting it in two. Giving Greg the bigger half, more because he knew his boyfriend would likely be getting hungry again and then in an attempt to restrict himself. With a slightly trembling hand, he broke off a piece of the chocolate and put it in his mouth, closing his eyes and enjoying the unfamiliar yet familiar taste that he'd denied himself for years. He could feel Gregory's warm hands on his waist and hear Sherlock excitedly babbling about Smarties and in that moment decided that Easter was one of the best things about recovery. This has a wall of kudos and four comments. <laughs> Account deleted says, Love. This was incredibly realistic and well done. Author responds, Thank you. Adara Rose says, I read this five times in a row and it was amazing. Author responds, Heart emojis. All right. Um, I just put the birdies to bed. So, we are going to continue uh, with number 11, which happens to be A Stark Rogers Easter by a Superhero Wife. This is a... Oh, this is not rated. This is M slash M, and it is The Avengers Marvel Movies, The Avengers Marvel All Media Types Fan Fiction. <clears throat> Okay, this is going to be another relatively short one, and, um, you know, I kind of felt sick of drinking, so I'm, I just have my water now, so, yeah, I'm going to take a sip of that before I get started here. Alright, here we go. Bunnies don't have eggs. That's right. Ten why? Why what? Why does the Easter Bunny hide them? It's a pleasant spring afternoon. The three of them are seated on a blue checkered picnic blanket as they allow the fatigue from the ongoing Easter festivities to finally set in. The Avengers Mansion stands not far behind as it overlooks its seemingly endless grounds. The four-year old daughter picks through her large basket, giving each brightly colored plastic egg a little shake before opening it up to inspect its contents. Ava's a complete mess, her mouth stained bright red from the sticky syrup that had coated the candy apple she had previously consumed. Various food and grass stains on the dress and white stockings Natasha had bought for her Confetti paper tangled in her dark curls. The confetti was from the hollowed-out confetti-filled eggs that the children had used, by Clint's example, to smash over each other's heads. The same residual confetti that also currently clung to Steve and Tony's hair from their daughter's own confetti egg 
fueled blitz attack. It's all for fun, Steve says to her, picking up the jelly bean filled egg she had discarded. There's no Easter bunny. He pops a jelly bean into his mouth. It's all pretend. I know, Ava says testily, but why do people say he does? People, Tony interjects, he's lying on his side with his head propped up on one elbow. Went a little overboard, went a little overboard, didn't we? He says, eyeing the basket through blue-tinted sunglasses. Did you leave any for the other kids? Plenty, Steve insists, popping another jelly bean into his mouth. There wouldn't have been any eggs left for her. Tony smirks at him. Okay, maybe he had been excessive, but Steve couldn't stand idly by and allow the larger or special ability children to unjustly rob her. Papa, Daddy, look, Ava shrieks. Money! She triumphantly waves a $20 bill at them. Steve raises an eyebrow at Tony. You put money in them? Tony answers in the form of a one-sided shrug. Sorry, a one-shouldered shrug. One of the children then beckons Ava and she sprints off to continue playing. Steve fondly watches her for a few moments before easing in onto his back and closing his eyes. Did she wear you out, old man? Tony teases. You wish, Steve quips. Steve relaxes his body and empties his mind until he is completely attuned to his environment, a light breeze rustling the leaves of the tree overhead, the sun's the sun shining down and warming whatever isn't shielded by shade. The muffled sounds of chatting in the distance, all simple comforts that humanity daily takes for granted. Tony's golden brown eyes. I can feel you staring, Steve finally says. His eyes remain closed. I can't help it, Tony murmurs. He shifts his body and presses his warm lips against Steve's, holding him in place. Steve cups the back of Tony's head, fingers lightly grasping at his hair as Steve deepens the kiss, their mouths tasting of chocolate and sweets. Get a womb, Ava says. Children's are here. Startled, they instantly pull apart as fast as two teenagers who had been caught making out. Clint is standing next to Ava, the two cackling away. Embarrassment warms Steve's cheeks. He usually wasn't one for public displays of affection, although he was, he had admittedly gone a bit slack on that rule over the years. What are you teaching my impressionable child, Birdbrain? Tony says, smoothing down his shirt. Bird brain, Ava repeats, giggling and pointing at Clint. Now, now, that's no way for founding Avengers to behave. Clint mockingly chastises. You two should be setting an example. Think of the children. Tink of the children's, Ava mimics. Steve lowers his head in shame and releases a sigh. You're so right, Clint, he agrees, slowly rising to his feet and placing his hands in the front pockets of his jeans. That was completely inappropriate behavior, Clint continues to eye him with suspicion as Steve steps closer. So please, accept this gift as a token of my apology. Steve removes his hands from his pockets and emerges with one of, with one of the confetti eggs. Sorry, they had the word one twice. It confused me. It happens so fast that Clint barely has time to react before Steve grabs him in a headlock and smashes it, smashes it against Clint's skull, 
Feeling better now? Steve teases, playfully slapping Clint on the back before releasing him. Clint shakes the confetti from his hair. Your dad's a cheater, he tells Ava, as he as she continues to shriek with laughter. Tony's face has also turned pink from laughing. This is not over, Clint swears, as he points an accusatory finger at Steve. You know where to find me, Steve flashes a cheeky grin before resuming his place beside Tony. Author's notes, please comment or prompt me here, and then they link their Tumblr page. It says a pretty good amount of kudos on it, but no comments. All right, here we go. Our next one happens to be number 17, Coloring Outside the Lines by Serona. This is a Tina Nup rating, M slash M, and Strictly Within Hawaii 2010 fandom. Author's notes, written for the H50 Flash Fic Challenge, Theme Traditions. Alright, let's get into it. Danny surfaces slowly, languidly, feeling warm and deliciously comfortable. He's alone in the bed, taking up far more than his side of it in a strange diagonal full-length sprawl. Like he's been staking a claim even in his sleep. His face is mashed into Steve's pillow, every breath bringing with it the scent of sunshine and surf mingling with traces of Steve's shampoo. And yeah, okay, he's well aware that he's grinning stupidly into the pillowcase, but that's just the effect Steve has on him, even in absentia. For all the decadent contentment, of soft sheets and balmy breeze on yet another gorgeous Saturday morning, there's a niggling thought at the back of his mind, insistently poking at his brain. He's forgetting something, he knows he is, but for the life of him, he can't figure out what. He runs a few mental checkpoints. He picked up Grace last night, but it's not a full Grace weekend. Though, why exactly that is eludes him frustratingly. It's still early even for his monkey, who takes after her mom in that she is an early bird if Danny ever saw one. Danny almost dozes off again. It's been a long, harrowing week, and his thoughts slow down like molasses, chasing their tails lazily around and around in his muzzy head. The mingling sense of him and Steve make him feel happy, drowsy, and safe. Okay, I just want to mention real fast that if you hear my birds chirping in the background, I do have their TV on, um, so usually that helps with them peeping, but not at the moment. And also, I took them out, I think, five or six times today to spend time, spend some quality time with them, but if I'm not in the room with them, sometimes they will peep anyway, because uh, they hear me talking, so that's just a little explanation of what's going on there. Alright, back to the fic. A resounding crash that manages to sound sheepish even from all the way downstairs startles him wide awake. And Danny sits bolt upright as it all comes back to him in a dizzying flow of remembered planning. It's Easter weekend, and he has a sudden premonition of the pandemonium 
he's about to discover when he makes his way to the kitchen. It is tradition, true enough, and he's been looking forward to introducing Steve in the Williams Easter Saturday Club, though God only knows what unholy mess Grace has made, if she's been patient enough to start on her own without waking him. He locates a t-shirt and a pair of sweats, tugs them on quickly, one leg at a time as he rushes for the stairs, narrowly avoiding braining himself on the bedroom door frame. He hears the voices when he's about halfway down, and his trepidation increases tenfold when he hears Steve's rumble alongside Grace's chipper instructions. It's a minor miracle the house is still standing, if they're doing what he thinks they're doing. He stops dead in the kitchen entrance, curling his bare toes into the floorboards and crossing his arms over his chest to avoid giggling himself silly at the sight. Steve has red food dye streaked over his cheekbone and across one eyebrow, and the look on his face that Danny saw, that Danny last saw him sport when he diffused a pipe bomb barehanded on Wednesday. Grace's focused little frown looks eerily similar to Steve's as she peers down onto the table contents from the vantage point of the small stool, which Steve unearthed for her yesterday from the mess in the attic. Her hair is pulled back in two slightly lopsided pigtails. Danny can't help but smile goofily at what's unmistakably Steve's painstaking if unpracticed handiwork. As Danny looks on, she pokes the spoon she's holding inside a metal tin and sloshes the contents around. The table is covered in eggs and various stages of development. A tidy basket lined with straw sits at the far corner, half full of shiny, perfectly turned out eggs, each one painted with a different pattern. There's polka dots, zigzags, ribbons, Danny's baffled at both their variety and the precision. His and Grace's eggs usually look like a rainbow exploded all over them. What these ones do have in common are the various shades of pink that hurt Danny's eyes a little, but speak clearly as to who the mastermind behind the project really is. This one's ready too, Grace says seriously, watching Steve's every move like a hawk, as Steve, eyes narrowed in concentration, lifts the colored egg carefully out of the food dye solution and relocates it to the paper towels, spread over a newspaper bearing clear signs of previous wet egg encounters. Go ahead and put the next one in, Steve says, as he reaches for another white egg from a bowl full at his side and hands it over to her. Shall we try making the piggy this time? Yeah, Grace nods excitedly, placing it on her spoon and lowering it carefully into the tin. Steve looks straight at Danny as if he has known Danny's been standing there the whole time. The wide grin on his lips makes the laugh lines around his eyes crinkle enticingly. Danny wants to kiss each and every one of them, bury a hand in Steve's thick hair, and hold on. Good morning, Steve says fondly, looking so happy, standing there, elbow deep in food dye and eggshell next to Danny's perfect daughter, that Danny's heart stutters a little in his chest. Daddy, Gray shrieks, jumps off the stool and runs over to him to give him a hug, leaving behind a perfect pink handprint pressed onto his white t-shirt. 
Hi, monkey, Danny says, kissing the top of her head and smiling at Steve over it. Morning, you, he adds warmly, letting Steve see everything he's long given up on trying to hide, all right there in his eyes. Steve's grin mellows until it turns into that smile, the one that drives Danny into distraction every time he sees it. The one Steve keeps safely hidden inside, lets out only for Danny's eyes. Grace slips her small hand in Danny's and drags him over to the table. Look, Dano, we're going to make animals. There's a froggy and a doggy and a ducky, too. We're only making the pink eggs right now. Can you set up the, one, the other colors while me and Steve finish this piggy? Steve said to wait for you before we started the rest of them. He helped me paint on the dots and stripes, see? It was his idea. She beams a sunny smile Steve's way, and Steve damn near glows with pra the praise. They're beautiful, Grace, really gorgeous. Who knew Steve was so good at pink? Danny says, throwing Steve a sly glance over Grace's head. Steve manages to flip him off while Grace concentrates on cutting a somewhat irregular circle out of a piece of pink cardboard tongue sticking out in concentration as she wields the safety scissors. Steve's fighting a grin as he does, though so Danny huffs a laugh and gets to work. He wouldn't put it past Steve to have researched egg coloring techniques when he found out they'd have Grace the Saturday, the big goof. When he sees Steve break out, of, break out the Q-tips, he knows he's got the truth of it. Danny thinks he can get used to this, even if his t-shirt is a lost cause to Steve and Grace's enthusiasm. It's a sacrifice he's willing to make for the way Steve's eyes linger over Grace and him, the way Steve finds all manners of flimsy excuses to touch him, the way Steve's shoulder presses to Danny's warm, steady, immutable, uh, as he steadies his daughter's hands with careful fingers. Okay. I just didn't comprehend that last sentence there. It was a little too flowery. Uh, we got a wall of kudos and 16 comments on this. Sanachi says, Oh man, those are adorable. And I can totally see Steve concentrating so hard to get this right for Grace and Danny. Too cute, smiley face. Author responds, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Steve did research. Oh, yes, he did. And next year, he's thinking about breaking out that research in order to get better dye mixes. But he's going to start breaking it to Danny in January. Smiley face. Sanchi responds, Of course he will. LOL. I can just imagine Danny's reaction. Roadkill says, Hung. Oh, man, it's adorable yet so... In character at the same time. It's too much for me. XD. So much awesome. Author responds, yay, I'm so happy you enjoyed it. Kustit says, I love your writing. Author responds, thank you. Minot says, oh, so cute. I want to see it as canon. So there. M. Author responds, thank you. Oh, that would be delightful. Mama responds, ooh, this is adorable, and I'm just a cooing mess. Author responds, delighted to hear it. M.F.L. Uder, or maybe M.F. Luder, says this was so perfect. Heart emoji. Author responds, thank you. 
Love is as beautiful as we make it, uh, says, If Steve Garrett was real, I would kill Catherine and give him all the babies his heart could stand. Jesus Christ, I love him. Author responds, smiley face, glad you enjoyed it. And Laughing Pillow says, The domesticism is too much sometimes, like now. All right. All right. Our next one is, uh, our last one actually is number 18, Easter Eggs by Dusted Corners. This is a general audience's rating, and it is strictly within, well, not strictly. It says the fandoms are Promare and Promare 2019. So I'm thinking there are two iterations of this TV show, movie, video game, premiere. I don't actually know what that is. Um, actually, let's just look it up real quick. Okay, so premiere, it looks like, is a sci-fi action anime, I believe. Um, 30 years has passed since the appearance of Burnish, a race of flame-wielding mutant beings who destroyed half of the world with fire. When a new group of aggressive mutants appears, a battle begins. The initial release of this uh, TV show was in May 24th, 2019, uh, actually in Japan. All right. Um, oh, and it looks like if you wanted to watch this, you could find it on HBO Max. So there you go. Okay, let's get started with this little thick here. Uh, no author's notes, so here we go. It hurts, Gallo yelled. As he fell on the ground with a groan, something splattered on his head as he felt as he fell on the grass and a figure came to tackle him on the on the side. A relentless second and third figure coming only seconds behind. Mercy, please, he pleaded, vaguely covering his head under his arms, but a crew of hands came to pry off the arms, and he just didn't have the will to fight them off. He looked up, the silhouette of a hand holding something quickly coming down, being the last thing he saw before the splatter crashed on him. Laughter surrounded him, and he couldn't help but join in, laughing as he brushed off the splatter the spatter of confetti on his forehead while a little girl came up, giggling to herself to crack another confetti-filled egg on Gallo's forehead. Even before he joined the burning rescue, Gallo had been volunteering at the Easter party the orphanage he used to live in held every year. It was a community event for families and kids who didn't have one. Everyone liked Gallo, and every year all the kids were thrilled to see his costume. He'd only worn a real full bunny costume once, but the costume had scared some of the younger children. Suppose a gigantic stuffed bunny isn't as cute as you'd be led to believe. Nowadays, he just wore bunny outfits, colorful pastel clothes with a pinned bunny tail and ears. Mr. Bunny, I brought you something. A little boy came up to Gallo with a big smile on his face. His mom's behind him while he extended out a letter to him. Oh, is this for me? Gallo bent down to take the letter from the boy. 
He opened it to a crude crayon drawing of what he supposed was him, a stick figure with wild blue hair and bunny ears next to what was probably the boy and his mom. One of the ladies laughed lightly to herself and reached to ruffle the boy's hair. He's been so excited about seeing you again for weeks now. He says you're the one that got us to love him. Which wasn't entirely true, but it was true that if it hadn't been for Gallo hiding eggs under the tables, this little boy wouldn't have stumbled upon this couple the way he had, knocking over their coffee and crying for an apology while he offered the ladies the eggs he had collected so far. Although that day, he had also gone to blame Mr. Bunny for having made him spill the coffee. Gallo apologized to the boy more than anything by the end of last year's party. Either way, Gallo smiled at the memory, fondly, and thanked the boy for his letter. The boy nodded and let him know he'd find lots of eggs this year, too, then turned and ran past his mom to look for the eggs, most likely. Gallo sighed and got up, pocketing the drawing in the breast pocket of the pastel blue waistcoat he was wearing. He looked around, spotting a familiar face waving at him. Gallo looked at him for a moment, confused before smiling and waving back at Leo. He made his way over and took his hands, just to make sure he had his attention while he looked him over. I thought you were going to dress up, he asked, taking notice that Leo looked rather normal, or at least normal for Leo standards. Black leather pants with matching black leather boots. Thankfully, he was missing the black leather coat, only wearing a white button-up. Leo raised a brow and looked around at all the children. I know you told me to, but I think I misunderstood. I didn't realize it was a birthday party. When you told me to dress as a bunny, I looked up the address of the place and thought it would be inappropriate. He looked at Gallo a little accusingly, although he also felt maybe he shouldn't have guessed it was someone's birthday. But then again, this also confused Gallo. Oh, is no one, is no one's birthday? No. Leo looked around. It looks like a birthday to me. Well, is Easter. Gallo, I don't know who or what that is, he reminded him. Or rather let him know, looking a little offended, and then a little embarrassed at the look of surprise on Gallo's face. You don't know what Easter is, he yelled, startling a little girl that was just about to walk up to him. She yelled back and ran off scared, as if Gallo had yelled at her. Gallo looked over and ran after the girl quickly to apologize, leaving Leo to awkwardly stand by and look at all the people dressed in many colors, from very bright to very soft. No one was wearing anything in the scale of black, just kids doing that old party activity of looking for eggs, he noticed. He walked off a little, not wanting to stand in the middle of everything until Gallo came back to his side. Hey, sorry, she just got spooked, he laughed, and scratched the back of his neck. Brushing off some confetti, he let the girl crack on his head to make her feel better. Is okay? Gallo, what's Easter? Ah, Gallo trailed off, half concerned and half amused. Is just Easter, you know, a holiday, like Christmas. Christmas? But there's no presents, just eggs. Well, yeah, there are Easter eggs. I thought it was a birthday thing, to look for eggs, I mean. 
I remember doing that a few times when I was a kid, but now that he thought about it, he did it maybe only once every year. If it was a birthday activity, maybe he wouldn't. He would have done it more often. No, no one does that on their birthday. Here, he grabbed Leo by the hand to stand by further away from the kids so they wouldn't hear. The idea is that the Easter Bunny comes and hides all the eggs. Then the kids come and find them. I always volunteer to be the Easter Bunny. The kids know it's actually me, but some of them actually think I work for the Easter Bunny. Gallo laughed. A booming smile to accompany it. Leo still didn't understand, but he just nodded and asked more questions in a ten-minute period for Gallo to answer them. By the end, he only understood he was dressed too grimly for the event and that this was a very family-friendly thing. He didn't even bother to bring up that he did bring a bunny outfit in his bike just in case, but it definitely wasn't something he could wear here. Maybe just the ears. Sorry, I'll try to wear something more appropriate next year, so I can help you. I guess I'll. I guess I'll just stand around. He sighed, looking a little disappointed in himself, until Gallo eagerly clapped him, his hands on his shoulders. No, it's okay. You can still help. A lot of the kids are coming up to me, and I haven't been able to make sure the kids don't wander off too far. If you could make sure they don't, I'd appreciate it. Leo sighed and nodded. Gallo grinned and gave him a quick kiss on the cheek before running off somewhere with the kids. Leo had to admit it was impressive how well Gallo got along with the kids. He must just be one of those people, which Leo wasn't sure he was. Since fifteen minutes later, he was sitting on the grass trying to get a pair of twin girls to stop crying. After he scolded them for trying to climb a tree that was on the other side of the building where the party was taking place, whoo, that was a run-on. He sighed and wound up carrying the still crying girls back. A gentleman and a lady came to take the girls away. The lady eyed Leo with some skepticism and thanked him. He wandered around a while longer. At some point, hearing a mortified woman asking another lady where. Why there was an escort woman at the party? Leo didn't pay them much mind until a while later he heard the same woman tell the other, "Oh my God, I think is a man." The other lady just quietly asked, "Can men be dominatrix?" They looked horrified when Leo turned to them with a raised brow. He didn't know whether to be offended or not. Thankfully, Gallo was grabbing his shoulder before he had time to make up. His mind. I brought you a costume. I'm just—I'm not sure it'll fit you, but is in the cupboard of the bathroom on the first hallway on the right when you go in. He patted him on the shoulder, and Leo nodded. For once, he was eager to wear something other than black leather. So long as the parents didn't think he was some sort of sex worker at a family event, Gala waved while Leo went in. He. Too had heard a few people saying weird things about Mr. Bunny's friend, so he had gone to the orphanage director to ask if maybe they still had the costume they bought for a teen who had volunteered to come a few weeks ago but hadn't been able to make it. Thankfully, they had still ordered a matching outfit to Gallo's, and it was sorted inside. Gallo didn't know what it would look like, but whatever should be fine. Although he didn't think Leo looked bad 
on what he'd been wearing, he was more depressed than he was provoking, but he chalked it up to parents just being startled. Gao looked down at his sides at his side as a pair of twin girls came to tug at his baggy blue pants. Mr. Bunny, one started. Meanwhile, the other continued while pointing somewhere. Is that the real Easter Bunny? The first girl shook her head. Of course not. The real Easter Bunny couldn't come. It must be an Easter Prince, she corrected. Gallo just laughed and looked over as Leo was currently being swarmed by children. He looked nothing like a prince, not any more so than he would any other day. He was simply dressed in something that highlighted his fair features and made him look younger than he was. A pastel purple vest similar to Gallo's, a small straw hat with ears coming out the back, and some fluffy shorts that didn't go nearly far down enough his legs, so at least not far down enough to protect him from all the kids clinging to his legs and breaking confetti on his feet, rubbing confetti on long yellow socks. Leo wasn't about to fight children, so he just forced himself to walk with all the weight of them as he tried to get to Gallo. Gallo laughed and just cupped his hands around his mouth. We're about to serve the cake, he yelled, and quickly the kids ran off, leaving Leo alone and rushing to the main table with a large egg-shaped cake in the middle of it. How do kids have so much energy? Leo asked, patting down his clothes from all the confetti. Some of the eggs have candy inside, Gallo explained, while he brushed some confetti out of Leo's hair. You look like a birthday cupcake. Leo raised a brow. Well, you look like a confetti ice cream, he retaliated, with a small smile, looking over Gallo's shoulders at all the kids in the table. I think your minions are waiting. Gallo snorted and shook his head. You're wrong. I'm their minion. Leo shook his head, making sure no one was staring at them before he pulled on Gallo's oversized green tie to give him a quick kiss. Well, I say you're mine. Go on. Go do your Easter duties. I don't think this whole thing really suits me much. Gallo nodded. I know, it's okay. You don't need to stick around if you don't want to. I'll stay, just I don't know if kids hate me or love me. He shrugged. Doesn't matter. I know another bunny you'll like. He smiled and gave Gallo a little shove to send him off to the children. Gallo didn't know what he meant, but it thrilled him and made him smile regardless, going with a bit of a skip in his step over to the table to let everyone serve the cake. This has a pretty good amount of kudos on it, but sadly, no comments. All right. Well, once again we have explored the Easter tag, and I can't say that I'm too disappointed in this one. Um, I, I really don't think it was as bad as our first uh, journey into this wonderful world was. Um, you know, I, I can't complain. Uh, but I am planning to do more of this, so... Um, Tune in next time for that, and as always, if you have a fandom you would like to recommend that I read from, or a specific fanfic you want me to read, just let me know. Uh, that's it. Happy Easter!